is Aubrey. And I'm Brenna. And this is TJ and Zach Hire. All right, everybody. Welcome back to our second episode. This is so exciting. We had a fun time recording our first one. I hope if you listened to it, you liked it too. If you liked it, that's why you're back. So we'll see how this goes. Um, Today, we have a few things we want to go over with you Um, in terms of teaching. We want to really cover our teaching stuff today. Uh, We wanted to talk about our favorite books to teach. Aubrey and I have like our top book that we each love that we want to talk about. Um, why we like to teach it, the kind of strategies that we like to use that make it what we feel is effective. It's, I don't know, I guess that's our opinion. I think I am really effective. So we'll talk about why we like to teach that book. And then we're going to talk about all of our grades that we've taught and why we like and dislike those grades. So we'll give you some fun stories as well um, about each grade and just the positives and negatives because there's good and bad in all things and grades are definitely some of them. Yeah. All right. So the book that I picked that's my favorite is Frankenstein. Frankenstein was written in 1818 and it was written by a woman. That's actually one of the biggest reasons why I like to teach it. I don't know about you, but it's hard to find a book written by a woman um, that's like approved curriculum text. Have you noticed that? Yeah. The classic. I know. I know. And I like Mary Shelley specifically because she was so young and her husband was such a famous author. And so Mm -hmm. she was like... I'm going to see your poetry that you've been writing and I'm going to raise you this terrifying novel. (laughs) And so I love that about her. And it was cute when I was just introducing it to my students recently, they were talking about how she was metal because she wrote a horror, a horror book and she invented science fiction is kind of what they said. Um, They're really sweet. I like teaching Frankenstein. Yeah, because she's a woman and she just kind of stood up to all of the men. And then the next biggest reason is I like it is the high lexile because using a high lexile in a class is really hard, especially in our school, Mm -hmm. Um, because our school is a pretty, it's a very diverse school um, and there's a lot of EL learners, so Mm -hmm. second language learners. um, Considered a title one school. Yeah. So it's hard to teach high lexile novels. And this one is really high. It's a 1040, which is pretty up there and I was looking at it online and this is a recommended text for seventh graders shut up I know on like multiple websites I know I couldn't believe it because I can't imagine teaching this to seventh graders no it go right over their head exactly man if anybody out there does that like you're my hero I know tell us your ways because I think you're magic I someone it's like it's a wizard whoever teaches that to seventh graders is a wizard I know it was crazy Um, Because I teach it to 10th graders, and I'm actually really careful I actually only teach it to 10th grade honors students. Mm -hmm. Um, Because generally my honors kids are a little more invested, Mm -hmm. they care about reading a little bit more, and they're more familiar with reading outside of school, so they Mm -hmm. tend to understand texts a little bit better. That's another reason why I like to teach it, because it pushes the boundaries. I don't have a lot of texts that push it like that. Specifically, my other favorite book is To Kill a Mockingbird, and that lexile is very low. I'm not discrediting the content. The content's amazing, but the language is just, you know, it's Southern and she's a child. And so it's not complex language. Mm -hmm. So it's easy for the kids to understand, which is great because you can talk about heavy themes, but it doesn't push their reading capabilities. And so that's why I really like Frankenstein themes. Okay. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about the the themes. Um, Our district forces themes upon us every quarter. Love that. Uh Yeah, I love that. I like Frankenstein because I can put it into any quarter 
and I can make those themes fit because it has psychology and nature versus nurture and horror and fear and prejudice and responsibility and all these different themes. And so I can put it into any quarter and make it work, which I really like because then it's just like up to me what I have time for, what I don't have time for. And I think that's really fun. And all of those themes, um, yes, this book was written hundreds of years ago, but those themes are so prevalent now that I get the best discussions out of the kids. Okay, Greek mythology, because the real title is Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus. I forget that. I know, yeah. I think everyone does, because there's not a good adaptation of Frankenstein out there in terms of, like, media, and so people get it all twisted around. Anyways, so I like that it has the modern Prometheus, because it allows me to introduce Greek mythology into the 10th grade class, which... Um, if you guys listened last time, I talked about how I teach a Greek mythology class to seniors. And so it allows me to kind of let them like dip their feet into the Greek mythology waters. Oh, I also like it for modeling reading strategies. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I don't know how you teach books. I've never actually been in your classroom while you've been teaching (laughs) something we should do. We should do a podcast where we talk about our observations of each other's teaching styles. That'd be so fun. Okay, anyways, um, so I like the model reading strategies because I read the whole thing to them out loud. And I know a lot of teachers disagree with that. Mm-hmm. I've had a lot of teachers tell me that it's not okay, but I really? feel, yeah. Uh-huh, I know. Um, but I feel very strongly about model reading. I think it is a fantastic way to get kids to read because you read to them. So it's just like an audiobook, mm-hmm. And then you pause as you have thoughts and comments about what's going on and so they can pick up on those themes those nuances and any sort of literary devices that are um, going on that they haven't spotted on their own that you can spot for them and it allows them to kind of pick up the book and the language much quicker Mm -hmm. if you were to just give them Frankenstein and then set them loose because I think if I were to do that I would have a lot of panic attacks in the room yes if you were just give it them and be like hey go ahead read yeah you have like 10 kids on the desk. Uh-huh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I like reading uh, model reading for that purpose as well. And I like that for Frankenstein because it allows me to teach that really complex text that they would never read on their own and they're never going to read again, but it doesn't make them shut down because they don't understand it because I'm understanding it with them for them, mm-hmm. which is, in my opinion, one of the best ways to teach a novel. Mm-hmm. But again, I know that's controversial, so... <laughs> teachers okay <laughs> they're the worst um so i know so the next one that i wrote i wrote in my notes that students feel so smart when they make connections i love teaching books because when a student feels smart about seeing like a metaphor that nobody else saw or realizing mm-hmm. foreshadowing that they didn't see before mm-hmm. and that that light bulb in their head is so cute it's so good because they don't I mean maybe math teachers see that a lot when a kid like understands a math problem Mm -hmm. and but in English class I don't feel like I see light bulbs a whole lot especially in high school yeah yeah because you're just like reteaching writing skills and reading skills and they've done it before and so you're just pushing the boundaries a little bit it's just a lot of building on like core skills they already have exactly exactly and so when you have those light bulb moments in this book it just like you can see it in their face how good they feel about themselves because they understood something hard 
And so I also, at the beginning of the book, I stress how hard this book is. I'm like, guys, this is the hardest Lexile you're going to read this year or maybe even next year. And it's written a long time ago and blah, blah, blah. And so I go on and on about how hard it is so that when they do understand it, it like pushes their like self-worth even higher. Mm -hmm. So it's just like a feel good time. And then the next thing that I like about teaching this book is um, I get some really heated class fights. <laughs> and like I mean fights is kind of a loose term it's more of like a debate but they talk a lot about um so this is a spoiler if you haven't read Frankenstein but they talk a lot about um Victor's responsibility over the monster like yeah. is he responsible for the monster's actions like a parent would be for a minor child mm-hmm. um and then as well as is the monster res- like at fault for his actions because nobody taught him otherwise Mm -hmm. so they have all these discussions and so some kids side with the monster like it was all victor's fault and some kids side with the monster saying he has all these critical thinking skills that adults have so he knows right from wrong and he says he knows it was wrong Mm -hmm. and so they get in like these really heated discussions on like who's the sympathetic character and it's so fun because (laughs) both the monster and victor are pretty terrible people yeah they're both at fault absolutely but um it's fun to have them like get aggressive at each other about it and Mm -hmm. feel so strongly that like the monster did nothing wrong and it was all victor's fault from the beginning or like victor was just doing a science experiment he didn't know this was gonna happen and he didn't know the monster had like high thinking levels so they're just funny they get really heated they're so fun (laughs) and then i also like this book for um like pre-reading strategies because we can do a lot of like modern science discussions and psychology discussions because that's a lot of what this book is about Mm -hmm. one of the creative projects that I do so at the end of every book in my classroom I do a creative project I don't do an essay every time because Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that those kids that can't write strong essays still feel comfortable explaining to me how they understood the book and showing me that they know the themes but doing it in a way that they feel good about. So like an art project or a video or um, like a newspaper article or all these different mediums. So which I got that idea from our college professor. So one of my favorite ones for Frankenstein is I make them cast actors as if this was going to become a movie because there isn't an accurate movie adaptation. So I say, okay, you're going to cast all of the main characters, but I need really in-depth reasoning as to why you cast this person in this role. Mm -hmm. So it makes them do a really good, like, in-depth character analysis, but it also makes them analyze the world around them in the modern age, which is really fun. And so I wrote down some of my favorites that I've gotten back from students. (laughs) So my favorite victor was Chris Evans. I know I know so they said um Chris Evans is arrogant yet stunning (laughs) which I mean I get right like once I saw that I was like that's true Uh he is right Victor's never described as handsome but like I mean I'll support that yeah exactly so Chris Evans is stunning and then also he's arrogant and mean and they talked about how Chris Evans um is really good at portraying a very like self-righteous person mm-hmm. specifically Captain America mm-hmm. and so because they referenced Captain America and so they talked about how those are all those connections and Victor is also very self-righteous because he did the thing in the name of science and he was the best one for it yeah. so I really liked that um that one cool. and then my favorite monsters it got a little crazy um Vince Vaughn was a monster which I liked and I was like I could see him being a monster like a little creepy and stuff Mm -hmm. but with like some sass because the monster's kind of sassy sometimes and then um Jason I think his last name is Siegel yes he's in How I Met Your Mother um he was another monster 
option that I've gotten before, <laughs> which I liked because yeah. Jason Siegel's kind of goofy, and so you could add like the goofy part in. Mm-hmm. And then my favorite one, and I the kid didn't get a good grade because he didn't explain it. Okay. But it was Ben Affleck. Ooh. I know. Yeah. Ben Affleck would be a good choice. Right. Because he's kind of, because I had to think about this because the kid didn't explain it. So, in my opinion, if I was going to cast Ben Affleck, like, Ben Affleck is kind of, like, moody and uh-huh. somber, uh-huh. kind of stands in the background. And in all the movies, he's kind of, like, Matt Damon's, like, back. Yeah. He's just, yeah. like, behind Matt Damon all yeah, the time. His exactly. His sidekick. Um, and I was like, that works. Because then he's kind of upset that he's not in, uh-huh. in charge and in front of the whole thing. Uh-huh. And Ben Affleck's tall. And he's kind of got, like, the darker hair, paler skin. Uh-huh. So that was a good one. I wish the kid would have explained it because I'm sure it was great. Yeah, but he's on the right track. I know, but those were my those were my favorites. Um, I'm trying to. I don't remember any other victors that I got that were worth. I guess if they were worth noting, I would have remembered yeah. them. But like yeah, we'll check back when I finish teaching the book. Mm-hmm. I know Chris Evans was a good one because he would be a good doctor, uh-huh. but he would have to lose all that muscle mass he put on for Captain America. And he has a little bit. That's true. And he plays kind of like an evil character in that Knives Out movie. Ooh. Spoiler. Yeah, that's... Yeah, honestly. <laughs> so... Yeah, that's true. He has, like... He has the... I don't know, the depth to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's why I teach Frankenstein. Why? It's kind of low-key. Um, I have a co- I have the kids fill out, like some charts and some information as we read throughout the book but it's mostly discussion based they get a lot of points for participating in discussions we have some really good like socratic seminars at the end which i love socratic seminars i know they're so good but yeah it's just i think it's well-rounded it's good it covers a ton of things that you can get into and the kids love getting into the psychology of people this generation just loves like psychology and they always try to point out his um star signs like, which Vic- well, like, if Victor had a sign, what would it be? If the monster had a sign, what would it be? They're so funny. <laughs> They're cute. And I think that's really it. I mean, it's a it's a solid book. It's short, so I can get through it in less than a quarter, which is always a bonus. That's mine. The end. Okay. So, one of my favorite books to teach is a classic as well. It's A Midsummer Night's Dream by William Shakespeare. Mm, I love it. <laughs> Uh, I've taught Midsummer to both ninth and 10th graders. I love Midsummer. I think it's one of my favorite plays to teach of Shakespeare in general, but especially for ninth graders, it's just one of the best ones I feel like I've gotten in regards to like engagement and interest and discussions. The kids just get really into it. I teach Midsummer with a graphic novel, so it's the same text. That's fun. But a graphic novel. And it's so good because the kids who don't like to read get really excited about the graphic novel. Mm -hmm. Like, first day, they're like flipping through the pages and looking at the pictures. And like with the fairies, they're all like crazy looking. Like cool. Oberon's blue. Ooh, I love that. Love that. He's like super built and muscular. Like an avatar. Like, yeah. <laughs> he's like full blue. I love that. So they get like super excited about blue Oberon. <laughs> um, they love the graphic novel, and then the like my EL kids are just like my low, like reading kids also get really invested in it. Yeah. With the graphic novel yeah. Because 
they it's a huge buy-in for them because they're like okay like even if i don't understand the language i can still understand what's happening with the pictures Mm -hmm. and that's huge for them yes and so some of like the highest scores i've gotten from those kids have been with midsummer and i think a huge part of that is the graphic novel absolutely i think with the graphic novels like at least for me in shakespeare sometimes it's hard to keep track of who's who Mm -hmm. because in a play right on a text it's just name 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 listed down and so because you don't have a lot of like dialogue or all that kind of stuff happening because that like the text is attached to an actual picture of a person and he is blue they know who Oberon is and they have all that memory of what he did in the past Mm -hmm. oh I love that I love graphic novels I do too so that's kind of where I first start I also really like the themes with Midsummer. so we talk about themes surrounding topics of like love and relationships we talk about themes in regards to like jealousy and control and then like change and transformation and we talk about in like a literal sense like we have nick bottom who like literally changes into like a donkey yeah (laughs) yeah but then like um like like spiritual changes or like internal changes where um we see characters who like learn to appreciate each other more or Mm -hmm. learn to like be like better in their relationships and so we talk about that too um and the kids really get invested in the relationship topics and these topics of like control and jealousy because it's stuff they're dealing with in their own life yeah um we talk about this like debate about whether teenagers can fall in love or not oh that's so fun they probably feel so strongly about that they really do because you have, like, five of them who are like, no, like, my parents or my best friend's parents met in high school, mm-hmm. and they're still in love. Yeah. And then you have, like, the naysayers who are like, no, like, there's no way. don't know what love is. Yeah. <laughs> and so you have those, and then you have a lot that are, like, in the middle, and they debate back and forth, and they have all these reasons to back it up. Mm-hmm. And it's they're invested and they're interested and they can see connections between like the book and themselves yeah so that's really cool with the novel with the relationship is their relationships are total chaos mm-hmm. basically like half the characters have like cheated on each other with the other half of the characters and the kids love that and they love to like point out like all the infidelity because there's so much <laughs> And uh, we have this big debate at the end where about Demetrius, because Demetrius, he doesn't get the antidote to the love potion. He stays under the spell, and that's what, like, makes the relationship even again. He falls in love with Helena, and Hermia and Lysander are in love like they were in the beginning, and that's how it ends. And so we have this debate about whether Demetrius should be changed back because technically, like, it's not his choice that he's in love with Helena right now. Yeah. But he was also, like, a terrible person. Yeah. Like, he's, like, abusing Helena. Mm -hmm. And the kids get, like, really upset about that. And he's, like, very, like, stalkery towards Hermia. So you have kids who are like, no, like, he deserves what's coming for me deserves, <laughs> like this consequence yeah uh but we have other kids who are who kind of side with helena in the way that like she deserves someone who actually genuinely loves her mm-hmm. and demetrius is not that like it's not 
real. And it's really cool to see them kind of look at relationships that way Mm -hmm. and to realize that, like, it's, like, you deserve something that's, like, actually genuine Mm -hmm. and someone who, like, actually values you. Yeah. So I really like that. Along with the graphic novel, I do teach, it's, like, the early 2000s, Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, I love that one. Yeah. I mean... You can't turn down like Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, no. Sam Tucci, oh never, um, never. Young Christian Bale. It's oh, just, my heart. I love him. <laughs> so good. I know. And they're all so good. And the kids really like to see. It's a little bit more like a modern adaptation, not crazy, mm-hmm. uh, but just like there's bicycles and like, yeah, you know, yeah, a little more modern than the actual novel. So the kids kind of like that, and they like to. Um, have that alongside the graphic novel. Ultimately, too, I really like it. It's a really high lexile, and the language is hard for the kids to understand, but I like it because of that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, the kids, kind of like with Frankenstein, you can tell they like feel smart mm-hmm. when they yeah. recognize things. So Midsummer, for example, it has a lot of like like dirty jokes yeah it does <laughs> so like there's jokes about like the relationships and like silly jokes there but nick bottom has so many ass jokes yeah he so does many ass yeah jokes. so many and the kids pick up on that mm. and so we'll talk about that and there's you know literary devices being used and we talk about that but the kids feel so smart when they understand some of the jokes being made mm-hmm. and it's in old language and it's not like a joke that they would understand without any other context. Right. So I think that's cool. And then we do, we track topics to help discuss themes. So we track things like love, control. And we use colorful sticky notes. So I assign each topic a different sticky note color. And whenever they find an example, they just put it in their book. Mm. So we'll have like um, competitions and stuff to see like who can like find like the most in these. Oh, fun. Yeah. And um, we track it throughout the entire novel. So by the end, when they have, like, test questions about love and control, they already have, like, ten examples that they can just flip through. Right. To go find right then and there. And they are really confident in answering those questions with those examples. Mm -hmm. So I really like that. And that's one assignment that I do with Midsummer that the kids really do really well on it. It's just it really helps them develop their learning about those topics. Uh, another one I really like is an Instagram assignment. So I have them draw out four Instagram posts. They choose one character and then they have to pretend that the character's posting on Instagram. Oh, like, that's so fun. Scene. And it's it's not just the posts though. They have to have a character like one of the posts. Oh, fun. As well. So it'll be funny to see what these kids come up with because they'll like they'll have like Nick Bottom who's like so self-absorbed. Mm-hmm. And so all of his posts are like, look at me, look what I'm doing. I'm so cool. <laughs> yeah. And then we'll have like Titania, the fairy, like it because she's currently in love with him. That's amazing. And then we'll have characters who will like like posts or like you'll see it like all the characters except one like to post right. because it's like passive aggressively like dissing one of the characters. Yeah. And it's fun to, because it's easy. Mm-hmm. It's an easy thing for them to do because it's so familiar to them. 
but the character analysis and the analysis of the text is very in-depth and trying yeah. to like, understand like the layers to these characters come out all the time in this assignment. right yeah and they don't even it's like they don't even realize it yeah but it's cool to see them recognize like the significance of this character in the novel and the personality and how that plays a part in the overall story for sure and so yes i love midsummers finally and this is i don't know controversial maybe it's my hot take i <laughs> <laughs> i do think midsummer is a better option than romeo and juliet for ninth graders and here's my reason why midsummer one is shorter that plays a huge part romeo and juliet is hard because of the suicide element yeah romeo and juliet is meant to be satirical in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. and it's difficult because there's so many like movies of it so many different like tell like retellings of romeo and juliet that do not portray it as satirical so the kids don't realize that romeo and juliet is satirical going in and it's hard to really get that through to them especially as 14 year olds yep they just they don't pick up on that and you i mean that's like in a like a generalization but when it comes to like that final moment of both the characters committed suing committing suicide it's a difficult topic to go about in the context of satire it's because it's not a funny topic by any means right and it's not necessarily meant to be funny, just to be overdramatic. Right. And it's supposed to have more layers there where it's meant to point out how overdramatic and over-the-top love can be. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have kids understanding that already, they're not going to get that with this element of suicide. And you have to do so much front-loading for the suicide. Yeah, you do. With and I've had teachers who've had like counselors have to come in and like other things to talk yeah. about this and to break it down when that's not the point. Right. I don't feel like it, it it takes away a lot from like the point of Romeo and Juliet, which is like love is crazy and dramatic. Mm-hmm. And I think talking about suicide and talking about mental health is so so important, but I don't think Romeo and Juliet is the place to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. There's so many better books out there that address mental health in different ways. Yeah. That you can have that conversation and the different layers to Romeo and Juliet and not even like considering just like the language alone, it's just not not the right place in my personal opinion for that conversation. Mm-hmm. Midsummer is easier to follow. It's funnier. Mm-hmm. Uh, the relationships are much more familiar to the kids. I just, I personally feel like it's a better option than Romeo and Juliet. I agree. I taught Romeo and Juliet once, and I liked teaching it. I did use the audio version with Kenneth Branagh as Romeo, which is, he's incredible as Romeo. And I did teach it with the perception that Romeo is insane (laughs) and needy and whiny. And I think on my board at one point, I had like, Romeo is a weenie. Because he is. The whole play, he's just crazy. And I kind of, like, skirted over the suicide. Like, we talked about it, but I didn't talk about it. Like, I don't think I ever used the word suicide. Mm-hmm. Like, he killed himself because he thought she was dead and she wasn't. And, like, all this confusion and mm-hmm. drama, right? I pulled it as, like, drama. And so it was funny and silly. And and then, like, 
uh, the teacher down the hall was also teaching it and she's like oh yeah we have a week where the counselor comes in we talk about suicide and like that conversation to have that with the kids had never crossed my mind and granted it was like my second year teaching so maybe I should have been more on top of it but it hadn't even crossed my mind because we did that national teachers of English conference where we presented on teaching empathy through books Mm -hmm. like um like speak or other books that do deal with suicide in a very serious way that opens really incredible conversations but I agree with you that Romeo and Julia is not the way to do it because that's not the point of the book Mm -hmm. it's like this extra little bit at the end but the suicide isn't what it is it's the confusion of the deaths and the sleeping and the all the crazy stuff on the fryer just screwing it all up for everybody so it's not I don't know that hadn't even crossed my mind until other teachers started doing it yeah I don't know each their own I guess yeah I guess <laughs> oh I was gonna say um along with Shakespeare I think it's so good to teach in high school like once or twice yeah. because it's fun to introduce them to that language and like yes he's this ancient old white dude and like we're we're like kind of getting over the old white men right mm-hmm. but he's so good at analyzing young adult drama and young adult love like it's so good and it has truly withstood the test of time Mm -hmm. and so I love that like those conversations are happening in your class because it's it just proves that Shakespeare should still be taught Mm -hmm. because he's so good at analyzing Mm -hmm. teenage love and the drama (laughs) and the silliness and the cheating and the all the crazy stuff it's so good he does I know he does such a good job (laughs) he would have been so fun to talk to I think he's an author I want to talk to when I die him and Mary Shelley, for sure. I think he's probably a little nuts. Oh, for sure. Oh, he is absolutely crazy. Eccentric at best. Yeah, because there's a lot of authors where you're like, when I die, I want to talk to these authors. And there's a few that I'm like, ah, you're probably a misogynist. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I want to talk to you. You were always drunk when you were writing. You're probably no fun. Like, I want to talk to Mary Shelley because she had this really famous author husband. Mm-hmm. And did she write some of his stuff? There's arguments. Oh. I think she did. I think she did. I mean, if she's just going to pop out this one, like, huge classic one time, Mm -hmm. she wrote other stuff that nobody knows about. And then, like, Shakespeare, he's probably totally crazy. But he's so... I bet you he is so funny to take to dinner. He'd be so funny. Exactly. He'd be so good. (laughs) Okay. Well, um, we have some time left. So we're going to jump into talking about our grades that we've taught and why we like and don't like them. You can let us know how you feel if you disagree with us. Because, I mean, we've taught these kids for a while, so I feel like we're experts, but I'm oh, sure I'm, true. yeah, I'm sure there's. That was sarcasm. <laughs> I hope you guys picked that up. Okay, go ahead. You have ninth grade. All right. So I have taught ninth grade for two years. And I've taught ninth graders in a four-year school, so they are in high school. I like ninth graders because they are so goofy. They say the silliest things, and they're kind of still, a lot of them are still in that phase where they still say, like, what's on their mind. Mm-hmm. Um, like, they're not trying to be rude or disrespectful. They just blurt it out yep. like a little kid. Yep. So a lot of them still have that, especially, like, first of the year. And I I like that about them. They're, for the most part, pretty obedient. I think that's still, like, that childlike aspect in them. Yeah. Where you ask them to do something and they at least try or they pretend to try. Yeah, yeah. And they're not very clicky. I, my ninth graders have been, like, very inclusive of others. They Aww. are very good to, like, work with each other and talk. And, yeah. And that's so cute. And they, like, show up in regards that, like, they actually come to class. 
<laughs> which is a big deal. <laughs> My least amount of attendance issues is in ninth grade, especially like first three quarters. Yeah. Fourth quarter, you kind of start to see some of them trickle off, but for the most part, coming to class. Now, ninth graders do have a lot of energy. They have <laughs> so much energy. So much so that, like, I had a kid literally, like, jumping off the walls. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So that was really hard. Yeah. And that was a struggle. You do also have kids who have this, like, middle school mindset where they don't realize that this counts. Yeah. And so they just, yeah, they may, like, pretend to try and, like, put an effort, but especially that first, first quarter, it's a huge realization to them where they're like, oh, like, this is going to determine a lot of things for me in the future. Mm -hmm. So that's, that can be a bit of a struggle getting them to that realization. Mm -hmm. Well, 10th graders, um, I've taught them for a while. I think four years I've taught 10th grade. I know every year, except my first internship year, I've taught 10th grade. In my opinion, they're like the perfect grade to teach because they've gotten out of that goofy high energy like physical level that the ninth graders are in mm-hmm. but they're not like apathetic stress balls like the 11th and 12th graders can be mm-hmm. because they haven't hit like reality yet they're not planning on college yet they're not planning on the act yet they're just like having a good time they're turning 16 so mm-hmm. they're getting their licenses and getting <laughs> jobs like and they're so they're just so cute in that way but then on the flip side they do they're so spacey and I don't know what it is because, like, my seniors haven't been like this and 11th graders that I've taught here and there haven't been like this. They're just so spacey sometimes. Like, they say stuff. I'm like, are you on planet Earth? Like, I'm not sure what that just was supposed to mean. Or they'll come to class and they'll be like, um, I can't present today because I'm just so tired. So I'm going to go home and take a nap and then I'll come and present next time. Like, it just, they're so silly. They say the silliest things, but it's, like, you can see their reasoning and they're trying really hard, but they also are, like, so up in the night somewhere else. Like, they just don't, they're so fun. So, they're fun in, like, all the great ways, but they just don't, I don't know, I just don't feel like their brain has, like, clicked together yet. Mm-hmm. There's still something missing in their brain, and mm-hmm. I think they get it when they're juniors or at least, like, halfway through their sophomore year, something clicks in their brain. And it's ninth and grade, tenth graders have that click at Christmas break. Yeah, a lot of them. A lot of them transition. Yeah, it's very strange. Yeah, when they're just like, oh, this is what it means to be like an actual person and <laughs> have real thoughts and critical thinking skills and long term thinking skills yes. and. Yeah. Oh, so the tenth graders are fun. I like them a lot. Um, they're like hype queens. I've noticed too, because <laughs> with the assemblies this year how they've been like digital mm-hmm. my class is like the ultimate hype class and they're that. like oh go you she's so beautiful look at her dance oh my gosh that's zach down on the drum line blah 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 like oh, that's, so that's john doing this like they're so cute about like oh all of it they're sweet i love that and i like the 10th graders okay 11th grade i've taught 11th grade in some form for five years I like 11th grade because I feel like we can have those really in-depth conversations. Yeah. In 9th and 10th grade, their brains just did not quite Yep, they're not there. there. Yep, they're not there. They, a lot of them have hit a maturity level where we can have more 
conversations about more mature topics, mm-hmm. especially like real world topics. Eleventh graders are starting to get my jokes. I have a very like oh, I love when they do that <laughs> sarcastic sense of humor. Yep. And you only have like one or two ninth graders who are getting it. Yeah. And it the rest of them it's going over the head. Eleventh graders for the most part they're getting it, and they. I mean, they're too cool to laugh at your jokes, but... You can see it in their eyes eyes. (laughs) that they get your joke. You can get, like, a little half smile sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it feels so validating when they think you're funny. Because when I crack a joke and people don't laugh, I feel so, like, defeated and stupid. I'm like, I'm just going to sit down and not teach anymore. Like, I'm done. Like, my career is over. But then when they get your jokes, I'm like, ah, like, that's it. So good. And you, like, you make the eye contact with that one kid that did get your joke. You're like, we got it. Like, you and me, we got this. And then you sit those kids next to your dad for the rest of the year. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And 11th graders have gone to that point where they, like, get high school. Yeah. Ninth graders don't get high school. No, they don't. They're just, they're just here. <laughs> yeah. Figuring it out. And that's great. I love them for it. Yeah. But 11th graders have figured out kind of the ins and outs. For better or for worse, I do think there's, like, positives and negatives to, like, yeah. getting an understanding that is maybe like some of the hoops they have to jump through. 11th graders though are also the ones I probably have like my most issues with. Oh really? Uh-huh. Compared to your 9th grade? Uh-huh. Wow. Because I have a huge attendance issue. Oh, in yeah. Comparison. And because 11th graders are split one of two ways. You either have the ones who don't care mm-hmm. and who have given up and who won't continue to care. And well, I can do things to get them to care about my class and get them, I mean, there's that one or two that you can get invested again. There is a large group that like it, whether it's just they're not right fit or other things going on, they just don't care. Yeah. And then you also have a huge group who care a lot and who are like anxiety dialed to like 3000, especially those AP kids. And I'm not that way. Yeah. And so I have a hard time with that because the kids want something right now in this moment or they're going to like have a mental breakdown. And I understand where they're coming from, but I'm also not that, like that's not my personality. And so that yeah. tends to like conflict with them. It's hard, yeah, when they're that different from you mm-hmm. and your styles. Yeah. So... That's been an issue I faced. I also tend to really like the text for 11th grade, mm-hmm. unless it's the AP curriculum. Yeah. I hate the AP Ugh. curriculum. Yeah, no. And part of it is, like, my school and district, but we don't teach a full text in AP language. We only teach speeches, and I hate that. It's so, well, it just gets old. I can teach, uh-huh. teach speeches for a month, but after that, you're like, Oh my gosh, oh, another yeah. one? Those yeah. poor kids? Yeah. That's not fun. <laughs> so, that's what I think about 11th grade. 12th grade, I have such conflicting feelings about 12th graders. I'm so conflicted. I was thinking about this for like the past few days. Um, I've been watching my 12th graders a little bit more closely. Like, why do I, why am I interested in you guys? Why am I not? Mm-hmm. And then, so the reason I like 12th graders is because you can level on, you can level with them as an adult. Mm-hmm because they get it like you're like you guys I'm not feeling today I have a headache I was up all night doing this or that and they're like we get it like turn the lights off we'll still do our work 
like they're so cool in that sense like they just get it and they understand that you have a life and they have a life and you can level about that Mm -hmm. because they'll also be like hey Davis I can't turn this in because I had xyz going on last night and I was up until 3 a.m and when they come to you like that straightforward you're like for sure turn it in tomorrow like I got you and so I like that you can be on a very even playing field with the seniors my dog is dreaming and he's crying so I hope you can't hear that (laughs) he's like crying in his dreams poor boy he had his teeth clean the other day so he's probably dreaming about getting (laughs) nightmares again um anyway so yeah that's why I like them the reason I'm so conflicted with them is kind of like what you said about 11th grade they either care or they don't but it's so much more extreme You know, like the ones that don't care have truly given up in high school. Mm -hmm. And I just feel, I kind of feel defeated with them. Like, I don't know if there is anything I can do because with a 10th grader, if they've given up, I can usually get them to care by like November, December. Mm -hmm. I invest more time. I put in more effort. I kind of like babysit them during individual work time. I put in more time when I conference. Mm -hmm. But with the senior, like it doesn't matter what I say, what I do. Some of them, like I have one student who straight up ignores me no matter what I say or do. Head down on the desk every day, no matter what. And there's nothing I can do about it. And so it, and I kind of don't blame them because if they, I mean, they're 18, so they don't like English. They don't like English. They probably aren't going to college. They probably know what they're doing with their life. Most of them know. Mm -hmm. And if they're not going to college and they know they like either don't need to graduate or have all their credits already, Mm -hmm. they don't care. Mm -hmm. And I don't blame them. And so it like hurts my teacher soul to be like, I just have to let them sit there. But also, I can't invest my time in this kid that is never going to give anything back. And so it's really hard to, like, have that conflict. But that's also why I started that mythology class was to engage those kids that are disengaged because they're sick of reading novels. So instead, we'll watch YouTube videos and listen to podcasts about these Greek gods or the Norse gods. And I am getting some more engagement out of kids that other teachers have told me that are not engaged, Mm -hmm. which is nice. But I just don't know if it's enough, so I'm conflicted because I love them and they are so fun to talk to. And, like, we had conversations about bras that you would wear with a prom dress because the these girls are like, I'm not big enough, Davis. What kind of bra do I need for my prom dress? <laughs> They're so cute. So they can level with you on, like, a really personal level and it makes teaching way more fun yeah. when they, like, know you as a human. Yes. But then also, like, the ones that don't care, I feel so defeated. There's nothing I can do. It is hard. So, I don't know. I, I don't know what to do about Exactly. That. If someone has an answer on how to get 12th graders engaged in school, please tell me. Especially fourth quarter. Oh, my gosh. COVID? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You guys, we're going to do a whole episode on teaching during COVID, and it's probably going to be a series. Yeah. I think it's going to be a series. There's so much. There's just so much that we have to say. I have so many feelings. Uh-huh. Good and bad, but I have so many feelings. Mostly bad. But I have feelings. Um, so along with these grades, I wanted to jump in and talk about debate really quick, if that's cool with yeah, you. Let's hear it. Okay, so I taught debate, speech and debate, for three years. When I started at the school we're at now, they told me it was like a stipulation in my contract. Like, if you were going to hire you this year, you have to teach speech and debate. I had never taken speech and debate before. I didn't know it was a thing you could do in high school. Nope. Not a clue. And I was like, I'm an English teacher. I can teach a kid how to write a speech. I truly thought that was the extent of the class. I thought it was like a speech writing class with like debates on current events mixed in. That's what I thought. And so then I got sent to, um, I got referred anyways to a, like a college, to a university that would help 
teach coaches how to teach to be right like a one-week course yeah I took it three summers like a one-week course at the U University of Utah on how to be a good speech and debate coach speech and debate coach the debate team there runs it and it was incredibly helpful but I was so overwhelmed there's all this crap I didn't know like truly no clue it's like a team you go to competitions there's styles like Mm -hmm. it's this lifestyle that I had no idea about so then I get involved and now I have tournaments every other weekend that go all Friday night like truly into midnight 1 Mm a.m all Saturday Mm -hmm. and then I have to do it again two weeks later and I see these kids during the day I thought I was gonna like it and for a while I did but back to the personality thing, debate kids are very A-type where oh, so they're weird. so like organized and they have to know everything and they have to be the smartest kid in the room. And I can handle one or two of those in each class. But when you have 30 of them in one room, like I've never cried so much as a teacher as when I taught this class. Mm-hmm. It was crazy like there's a few kids now that I still talk to daily like I love them and we made huge connections being with each other so much but oh my gosh oh my gosh I can't do it I don't know how people do it and I don't know how people love it it's a certain type of person because I didn't even fit in with the coaches because the coaches are a certain type of person because you have to think like the kids that go on to be debate coaches are like the ultimate debaters so they have that personality to the extreme and then they carry it into adulthood it's like a to- it's a toxic room, the coach's room. It's toxic. Ew, I hate that. Yeah, it was not good. I only got a little taste of debate, but it was enough. For oh, me. yeah, yeah. So I substituted for one mm-hmm. debate coach for like six weeks. Yeah. One taste is all you need. It's all, it's need. all you need. It's terrible. <laughs> it's horrible. It does terrible things to people. It teaches good skills to kids. I will say that. The skills that those kids learned, they're the best writers. They're the best critical thinkers mm-hmm. in the entire school, I think. Um, oh, yeah. A couple of my students got a bill passed in Utah to make speech and debate day a recognizable holiday, which is incredible that they did that just on their own initiative. So it tells you that they're a good kind of student. But when you have that many in a room, oh, man, I like I feel like I got bullied by the students. It's it's so crazy. So I will never teach that class again. And that was a mix of nine through 12. So I had all the grades in there, which is another problem because you have these senior boys who like are so done and tired and they're really smart so they're just over it and then you have these tiny little freshman girls that are like balls of cute energy and so it's hard to have all of them in one room and like get along oh my goodness I was grateful to have a baby and have an excuse to dip out Seriously. yeah she was a wonderful excuse <laughs> oh man but yeah that's our those are our grades that's why we teach good and bad we have more stories we'll share horror stories probably next time but we need some we need some comedic relief here so they're good i don't know anything else i don't think so have a good day yeah thanks for joining us see you guys next time